You're listening to the Together in Literacy podcast, a podcast for educators, families, and advocates that connects the research of reading, dyslexia awareness, and the whole child. We're your hosts, Casey Harrison and Emily Gibbons. As two literacy dyslexia specialists, we've come together to talk about literacy, dyslexia, and the connection to the social-emotional impact that it has on our students, their families, and the educators who serve them. We welcome you to join us on this exciting and educational journey into dyslexia as we come together in literacy. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit us at www.togetherinliteracy.com. Thank you for joining us today. Let's get started. Welcome everyone to the Together in Literacy podcast. This is Casey and I'm here with Emily. Hi, Emily. Hi. And we are excited to speak with you guys today about something we're both very passionate about. Before we begin, we always love to highlight some of the reviews that we get from our listeners, which we are so appreciative of. And so this is from Read ICA. It says, a great podcast to inspire teachers and send them on the road to do their best for children with dyslexia. I listen to every episode and can apply what I've learned directly into my classroom. Thank you for your hard work and dedication. So thank you so much. (laughs) Yes. Isn't that a wonderful review? I love what they, when they said can apply what I've learned directly into my classroom. Love, love. Thank you. Absolutely. That is something we really want to try to do. You know, part of this podcast is helping people take the research and bridge that into practice. And so we love hearing that that's something that you're able to do by tuning into the podcast. So thank you. So today we are going to dive into handwriting. And when Emily and I recorded episode 2.8, which is incorporating writing in structured literacy lessons, we dove into about 10 components that we thought were really important for writing instruction. And through our conversation, we really discovered that each one of those could be a topic and an episode in and of themselves. So today we are going to dive into the handwriting part. So even for those who have, who do not have difficulty, handwriting in the early years is essential because until students can form letters with that reasonable legibility and speed, their concentration and their focus is often spent on letter production. And so Emily and I, we both see this in our own practices with our students, you know, when students have not yet reached automaticity for that letter formation. It really taxes their working memory and it places a higher demand on those cognitive resources. And this is a lot, we talked about this a lot in um, episode 2.8. One of the other things that we want to kind of look at when we're thinking specifically about handwriting is that the physical aspects of handwriting are also cognitively demanding that children, when they're writing letters, right? And they're still learning how to write letters and form those correctly and fluently. They need extra time to think about the formation of the letter. Um, And then in addition to the handwriting work, students are asked to apply that knowledge to other areas of literacy and activities like spelling, sentence structure, planning, reflection within the written expression. And all of these are cognitively demanding. So when this overload occurs, it creates this cascading effect where other elements of writing become overlooked, often leading to errors in spelling application and so forth. So 
that kind of leads us to understanding what role does handwriting have within our classrooms to help circumvent some of these challenges that we see our students bringing to us. So we really want to dive into the specifics of handwriting today for those purposes. Right. So as Casey was saying, we're trying to look at how we can free up some of those cognitive demands by building up that letter formation to automaticity and not only automaticity, but with a certain sense of legibility as well. We know that there's a lot of sound research out there on handwriting. It will lead to stronger reading, spelling, writing performance, and we will include some research from certain studies that is connected to this episode today with the uh, importance and the benefits of cursive handwriting. And so what we're going to do now, we're going to talk a little bit about the research. And then Casey and I wanted to sort of get into uh, the benefits of cursive handwriting, but also more developmental stages that we might be seeing in our students, but also some teaching tips. So some considerations that you want to have when you are teaching handwriting. And then finally, we will share some of the resources that we have found to be beneficial over the years with our students, whether it was as a classroom teacher or even with our students in the intervention setting today. So we really do come at this topic looking at it from the lens of the whole child. We want to emphasize that when we look at handwriting, we are emphasizing not only a multi-sensory approach, but really uh, the use of a kinesthetic approach. That where we feel like is going to get the most benefit out of cursive mm -hmm. handwriting. There was a large peer-reviewed study out of a Norwegian university that we will link that looked at the efficiency of cursive handwriting versus uh, keyboarding. Mm -hmm. and the benefits of that. And we know that through several different research studies that the continuous flow really is beneficial for encoding and uh, muscle memory. And when students are do become more proficient in that, yes, they really can thrive in the areas of writing. We know that so we want to be looking very carefully at the research. We some of the research out there has shown that when adults and children learn symbols, right? They're better if they can write them by hand. And then we're sort of rather than just like typing them out. I saw a wonderful quote that cursive was designed for the human hand. And I think that is really lovely. The other thing is Anna Gillingham, if we're linking back to Orton Gillingham, was a strong advocate of teaching cursive handwriting from a very early age. So early on in our children's schooling, she advocated teaching them right away. And we know certain, like the Montessori method, I know is a strong advocate of that as well. Mm -hmm. Our brain research shows that when we look at handwriting that can facilitate perceiving letters and reading written words, we know that handwriting and letter perception can recruit the same network of activation in the literate brain. 
So I'm getting into Casey's research part. This is really interesting from one of the research studies is we're activating both hemispheres of the brain Mm -hmm. when we're using cursive handwriting, which is really, really exciting to see. And that doesn't happen in the same pathway as it would if we were keyboarding. So that we can see in some of the research as well. And Emily is exactly right, right. We were talking about how handwriting and the importance for that literacy development and handwriting really does play a very strong role in our literacy development because it is helping in that brain network and that underlying area of reading. And so when we are visualizing those symbols and looking at creating that letter form, we we form that in our mind's eye, right? And we're connecting it. We're engaging in that orthographic loop that we know is so important to increase our literacy skills. So handwriting really does play maybe a more significant role than I think it's given in our curriculums or in our teacher developments or even in time spent in our classrooms. So if we understand the, you know, that, that crucial link that it has to literacy development, perhaps we can see why we need to really justify having more time spent on our handwriting instruction, particularly in our early grades. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, really, I mean, Casey was mentioning, you know, to try and justify cursive handwriting. There's just a lot of discussion about that over the years. It's first of all, should we be teaching cursive handwriting? It's not in the common core. Or how much time should we be spending on teaching cursive handwriting? Is it okay to just, you know, teach the alphabet, the cursive letters, you know, lowercase, uppercase, and then just move on? How much time do we devote? But I think if we look at cursive handwriting with more of an integrated approach into our whole writing curriculum and with the benefits highlighted in encode the encoding process, mm-hmm. It's not, then cursive handwriting isn't seen as a stop the presses. We're teaching cursive right now, but it becomes more of a flow into the classroom curriculum. Absolutely. And, you know, I know we've been talking, kind of alluding to the benefits of cursive and Emily and I both are big proponents of cursive. So you may be asking, you know, well, what about print? And we're also talking about explicitly teaching print. And there's a way if you're teaching print in proper ways, it does link to cursive later on. So I think, you know, being mindful about how we are bringing handwriting into our literacy instruction to aid in building that alphabetic principle, to solidify the knowledge of shape of the letters, the shapes, the form of those is beneficial for our students in multiple areas. And so if we're thinking about that early education and even in remediation for students, Behringer, who is amazing, but she really speaks about handwriting not merely being a motor act, but a written language act that taps into the processes of creating letter representations in our memory and then being able to retrieve them. And that is so important for our students to have that link with, so that they are able to access what they've learned and put that information out onto the paper. So learning to master handwriting early is going to be really important for our young children. Um, You know, it is the impacts of that when we have students who have, who are, have not, 
either received explicit instruction in handwriting or perhaps haven't had enough of handwriting instruction being monitored where they've they've now established really poor formation perhaps you know when they're doing print they're starting from bottom up once mm-hmm. they have those motor memory in place, it is harder to break it. So if we can be very mindful and aware of how we're teaching it from the start, linking it to the letter, linking it to the sound, having that correct formation, that's where we're creating that really strong connection in the brain that the research is showing. So we want to be very mindful of how we're helping students master those handwriting and formation skills. Right. And just to piggyback on what you were saying with impacts with children who have less of a desire to write or want Mm -hmm. to provide more written output, let's remember that when we have handwriting instruction, it's so important that we are offering, once again, immediate corrective feedback when we are in that process as well. And Casey and I have discussed corrective feedback in a way quite deeply back in episode 11. It was episode 11, right, Casey? Yeah. So I would definitely go back for um, season two, episode 11, and just sort of listen to that because when we're providing this feedback to our students and helping them with those letter formations, then down the road, we're not going to see some of those habituated letter formations like, you know, bottom to top and so forth that you know are so, so common. And these kids develop that sort of muscle memory mm-hmm. and it's very, very difficult to correct. It so is. by offering that immediate corrective feedback, I think that is only going to be beneficial over time with a student wanting and feeling motivated to write. Absolutely. And, and when we think about, you know, that the need of repetition, I always think of handwriting and letter formation, the same as if you're learning to play an instrument, or if you're learning a sport, right, you have certain parts that are repetitive skills so that you're building to automaticity and letter formation needs to be the same way letter. I always tell my students when we are writing, it is the same flow each time. We're not drawing. We're not going back over or going up or doing right. it a different way. We want it to be fluid because our goal is to have that move to your subconscious level so that your working memory can be spent on putting your message out, not on having to remember how to form the letters. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we, when we see that students are not yet automatic in their letter formation, you know, they, as Emily said, they have a less desire to write, but they also will, we will see less output in their written composition versus their verbal response. So we really want to be mindful of how we are teaching letter formation and what time we're dedicating to that. And Behringer has a quote from 1999, and she said, you know, while early handwriting difficulties do not ensure a child will become a poor writer, it is clearly one of the paths that can lead to this outcome. Mm. So, so yes, true. when we're thinking about, you know, oh, in kindergarten, introducing those, those letters, right? I'm always mindful of what does that mean for my high school student? If they don't, if they don't learn those letters, right, that letter formation in those early grades, it actually has a lifelong impact on them in their upper grades. And so I think, you know, always looking to the future and what role each of these skills plays for our students, I think is really important. 
effectiveness. It's definitely just part of, once again, like all of those foundational skills that we want. We want to be laying down the foundation um, to set them up for a lifetime of success. We're going to just transition a little bit into some of the, the stages of development in writing and then some of the tips. But when we think about our muscle memory, when we are learning to write, there's a great quote here from Aline Durbro, and she studied with Dr. Orton and Anna Gillingham. And this was a quote that she was in reference to aging. So in the aging process, what is learned in the muscles is the last to go. So when we are thinking about handwriting, we not only need to be thinking of it as a fine motor skill, but also the precursor to it, which is the gross motor skill. And I said this in presentations I have given in person. I have said it many times over. We can't do the fine motor unless we have the gross motor. And so we want to develop these movement patterns with our students. And that is going to sort of like create a neural stamp or a signature on the brain. It's going to become habituated. And some of the things we can do to sort of help them, help our students, and we'll get into some of these topics, Mm -hmm. are to practice those motor patterns like in a system, whether it be practicing using our large muscle group in our arms to make circles, lines, swings, loops in a rhythmic fashion so that students really are building up their large muscle groups so that they'll be able to handle those fine motor. And this just once again reminds me of the importance of gross motor development at the preschool level mm-hmm. um, so that they, because those uh, core muscles are the ones that are going to strengthen first, right? Our babies are developing their core muscles when they're crawling. And then those muscles from the core work their way out into the fingers. So it's kind of try to imagine, I explained this to families in the past that uh, try to imagine the core is the sun and the rays are shooting out. And those are the muscles that are uh, developing over time. But from a kinesthetic standpoint, this is, if we're using that approach, that is going to be the most, I think, beneficial for memory and, and then of course, leading into to helping them develop their orthographic patterns. Absolutely. And so some of those things that, you know, if we're, if you're a preschool teacher or, you know, early childhood teacher or parent, right? do working on vertical surfaces Mm. really helps to develop those large muscle groups. You know, we're, we're really trying to build that kinesthetic memory. And so, you know, things like painting and the easels, um, all of those are beneficial and those are necessary. So I think sometimes we're quick to put like a pencil in a child's hand and ask them to, to write letters. But if we understand the development and those pre-skills that come into play before that to develop it and to get a child ready for the explicit handwriting instruction, then we see that that is so necessary, that there are these developmental stages and that there are these things that we're doing and it may feel like play and it should feel like play, right. but it it's important work. So we have those gross motor skills, 
And then we're moving in at the same time as we're developing those big, those large muscle movements, those we are also working on developing the fine motor movement. And that's what we call the pincer grasp and or the pincer grip. It can be referred to either, but it's really that development of those fine motor skills. And so in order to hold a pencil correctly, right? We know that a child has to have control over their hand muscles, especially the pincer grasp, right? Which is our, you know, be, be able to pinch with your thumb and your pointer finger. And so we want to provide opportunities for that development so that we can move towards the three finger pencil grasp that's needed in writing. And one of the things that we can note is that as our students move through these developmental stages, there are some age norms, but students will move quicker or slower through those. But if we're thinking about that, really your children are developing that pincer grasp from birth to, to four years of age. And so practicing some of those fine motor skills is really kind of a natural part of our play. Um, as parents, you know, when you're, you're putting out that little finger food for the babies and you see them first, they're grabbing it with their, their whole fist, right? And you'll mm -hmm. see eventually they'll start to develop where they're, they're able to pick it up with just their thumb and their, and their pointer finger, right? That's that development. Those are the things that are going to aid your children in handwriting later on. So you know, a baby will typically develop that skill of using their index finger and their thumb to pick up items, usually between nine and 10 months of age. Again, we are all, you know, have varying ages, but the true pincer grasp is really when a child uses their, the tips of their fingers, the index and the thumb to pick up and manipulate small objects. So we want to have students bring in some of those play things you know, like Play-Doh, stringing of beads, eating those small pieces of food, like I said, right? Transferring an, one object to another, using clothespins. There's so many different ways that we can incorporate this into our everyday work at home and into our early childhood development areas. Because once the children have that fine motor control, then we can begin that explicit handwriting instruction. Right. I do some local workshops for families here in my town and just, you know, for kindergarten readiness and preschool and so mm -hmm. forth, early literacy. And I always talk about how, gosh, if I could give each family that's coming into maybe a preschool or kindergarten experience, I'd give a little bag and everybody would have a little uh, container of Play-Doh, pair wow. of scissors and, and just, you know, some crayons and maybe like one other clothespin activity. <laughs> just so, but these are what Casey and I are saying are super simple things that we as teachers know the benefits of, but a lot of our families don't. And so we need to sort of take that time to explain why we want to spend time with things like Play-Doh and scissor practice and crayons and paper and things like that and refrigerator magnets on our refrigerators. Mm -hmm. So all so, so beneficial. We are going to be talking about uh, with letter formation. We do want to get into the discussion of our proper posturing and helping students as we sit in a chair. And that is a really big step. If you imagine coming from preschool to kindergarten into first grade and being able to sit and sustain in a desk to position a paper, to actually hold and stabilize a paper with one hand and grasp a writing tool with another, that is a really big step for a lot of children. We lovingly sometimes 
talk about first graders falling out of their chairs a lot. But you know what? That is actually a really, that's a symptom to me of other things that are going on besides just falling out of a chair. Right, Casey? Yes, absolutely. And I love that you brought up, you know, that position of body and the environment. So this always makes me think of times that I've been to a conference or a meeting and where maybe the seating arrangement hasn't been very comfortable Mm. where perhaps, you know, my back is to the speaker and I've had to turn around and I'm taking notes or, you know, maybe you've experienced this where you've maybe had to sit on a, on the floor, right. And you find that your, your neck and your back are really strained as you're trying to, to take notes as to what's happening. And so this is kind of reminds us that really the way in which we sit when we're writing can really impact our written output. So poor posture when writing or not sitting in the best position to engage our our writing and our core can actually impede our work. So I think as you know as educators we really want to be mindful and we really want to consider the environment that we're providing for our students when we're asking them to write. Some things that we can can consider, you know, is the desk placement or the table placement, you know, where are the children, are you asking them to look at the board and transfer things from the board to their paper? Even the height of the desk and the chair has an impact on, on how our students are able to maintain focus and be able to sit in their space and, and write properly. Lighting, all of those things really impact our children's access to written material. And I was discussing with Casey, and I'll bring this up maybe a, another time as well, but when we were preparing for handwriting practice, we would do, this was I would do this not only with my students as a classroom teacher, but I also still do this in one-on-one intervention. But sometimes kids need things just like a simple hand warm-ups to wake up and strengthen those finger and hand muscles. And so some of the things we would do, we'd have sort of funny names for them, like spider on the mirror, where we're sort of touching both the tips of our fingers to both hands. Walking the dog was just walking our fingers up and down a pencil, squishing the bug. Sometimes we wouldn't want to say bugs, especially for our our insect lovers. So we would say grapes instead. Chair push-ups, Mickey Mouse ears, we would say just sort of like scrunching our hands open and closed. And just doing those simple hand warm-ups, even adults will feel that's strengthening, like, oh, I feel like my hand muscles are sort of warmed up now. And just going through that process just for a couple of minutes beforehand, I think just really helps to integrate all of our senses really beautifully and get children ready for the act of what we're about to do. Sure, we're talking about posture and things like that, and that's really important. But waking up our hands to prepare for the exercise of writing, I think is just so helpful. And it sort of places, I think, a little more importance for our students too, when we do that. Absolutely. I love that. And I do the same sort of thing where, you know, those finger warm-ups. And I actually think it's so important, especially now in today where we have so much technology available to our students. Yeah. I'm really interested to see the future research on the impact that that's having on our fine motor development because kids are swiping and they're not really engaging in some of those muscles that are needed for handwriting. So yeah, you can bring that mindfulness as you're into the hands as you're doing those warm up activities 
Also, you know, having conversations with students and teaching them how to sit in the chair, right? So there's a 90, 90, 90 angle rule, which is just sitting with that proper posture because sitting with poor posture actually puts stress on our muscles and our joints and our ligaments. And, and when children have that unstable posture, yes, they end up falling out of their chair sometimes, Mm -hmm. but they also can end up using excess energy to maintain that balance and that stability. And that can really impact how they function. And it can decrease their ability to complete those fine motor tasks, um, their schoolwork, and even to listen. So Mm -hmm. sitting with good posture, for writing really is going to increase the stability and provide that sturdy foundation for written output and increase our attention and focus. I know for myself, if I am somewhere and I need to pay attention and take notes, it's better for me if I'm sitting in a comfortable place that I can, I feel like I am able to write in a, have the nice setup for me to be able to write versus if I'm not, you know, if I have to have my paper on my lap or if I'm just not, it's just not as effective for me. So, you know, thinking about that for our students as well. So when we're thinking about monitoring, you know, and paying attention to poor core strength, I think it's something that's often overlooked when addressing handwriting issues, but it really does have a large impact on their fine motor skills and their abilities. So you may see students who have poor core strength. They may be like resting their head on their non-dominant hand or putting their arm on the table or their head on the table you know, leaning forward really close to their papers or slouching. Slouching. Yeah. yeah. And having their non-dominant hand holding the chair or, or beside their body instead of holding their paper. So there's, you know, quite a few things that we can look to for analyzing if a child has poor core strength. And then mm-hmm. when we're doing that 90, 90, 90 angle rule, it really just means that Ideally, when we're doing handwriting, we, you know, our feet should be at a 90 degree angle at our ankles with on the, you know, our feet on the floor, 90 degree angles at the ankle, knees at a 90 degree angle, and then our hips at the back of a chair at a 90 degree angle. And Casey calls it the 90, 90, 90 position. And with my students, we would call it, we're stacking our blocks. So our feet are under the desk, you know, our feet are flat on the floor, you know, our hips are aligned with the chair, our back is up against it, or, yep. you know, and we're nice and straight and ready to go. So try to imagine like the body being the blocks, like three blocks stacked, stacked one on top of the other. And when our blocks aren't stacked, what happens, mm-hmm. right? Think about it that way. We might topple over just something the way we can describe it to kids, I think is, is helpful. Absolutely. And when I taught kindergarten in the general classroom, you know, I had 32 little bodies in there. (gasps) My goodness. Yeah. (laughs) That was, that was my experience. They gave me a, I made, that was how they got away with it, but I had 32 students. Right. So when it was handwriting time, yeah, I had a little anchor chart and it was very similar to what you were saying, Emily, right. But it was, they would echo back what the, what the expectation was. And, and then it, First thing we did when it was handwriting time was we checked in on our position and then we were ready to go. So, you know, bringing that mindfulness to the students is really important as well because they're not always aware of how they're sitting and what impact that actually has on their fluidity of writing. So another thing to look at is just positioning of the paper. Again, there is a set position that's going to be beneficial to students. I Ideally, you want to have, you know, that bottom corner pointing, I always say to the, to their tummy, I'll either draw an arrow or put a sticker down there so that they can be mindful of that. 
you know, if you're left-handed paper, it's going to be a 30 to 45 degree angle and then right-handed 20 to 45 degree angle. But the other thing is to have our non-dominant or non-writing hand holding the top of the paper. So everything kind of has this position. And so taking time to, to set that up for students may seem like a lot, but it really is beneficial in, in helping them move forward with that. So it's interesting to me to see the kids, like some of the newer students that come to me that don't know to use their non-dominant hand to stabilize mm -hmm. the paper. I see that all the time. I see it so much. And to like, in my brain, I'm like, gosh, I, I, I all, I'm always holding my, paper. Mm -hmm. Why don't, but they, we can't take for granted, I guess is my point that they should automatically know. No to yeah. stabilize that paper with the non-dominant hand. A lot of kids won't do that. And we explain, you know, this is so, your handwriting isn't, isn't going to go squiggly wiggly all over the place. It's to help, you know, keep control. So yeah, I just, that's just a, a quick little thing. I, I noticed quite a bit with some of my newer students. That's, they need some training for sure in okay. that area. Yeah, coming back to that explicit systematic instruction, it carries yep. over even into our handwriting work. And yep. I know that Emily and I, we've talked a lot about this, but we really do embed our handwriting within our structured literacy lessons. As you're introducing your graphing, you can directly link that to the handwriting. Really? So there are places within your lesson where you're constantly having the students do handwriting practice and application. And these are all things that, that come into play. Yeah, definitely. So let's dive in now to letter formation. <laughs> all right. So when our students have the precise motor sequence for forming each letter, it is automated and then recalled without conscious effort. So this automaticity then leaves mental energy for written composition of writing. Students who struggle with automatic letter writing will also struggle with putting thoughts onto paper because their energy is expended on forming letters instead of the content. And then we've talked about that in episode um, 2.8 um, extensively as well. So we want to make sure we're explicitly teaching letter formation, whether we're teaching print, whether we're teaching cursive. Right. We want to be really explicit in our instruction of that. So there are some benefits to, to teaching each of these. And we know that, you know, in, in schools, right, most time you're teaching print early on, um, really print is designed, you know, it was designed for the printing press, but it really is going to help students bridge into the text in the books. You can really help, as I said, linking to that alphabetic principle, right? And provides an avenue for communication for students. And then throughout our structured literacy lessons, we're always practicing the connection between decoding and encoding. And so explicitly teaching print provides students with that ability to transfer that knowledge back and forth between their reading and their spelling. So we want to make sure that we are explicitly teaching those letter formations. Right. And as Casey was saying, this is to free up some of that extra expended mental energy when we have that automaticity built in there we are going to see much more of a flow when it comes to written composition. So Casey just had uh, highlighted some of the print benefits. So when we're talking about cursive handwriting, 
as I had said before, cursive was really designed for the human hand. We have the same starting position every time. We move from left to right, just as we read, right? It reduces the need or inclination or desire in that muscle memory to want to reverse directions. So what we're doing is sort of freeing up that tricky letter dis distinguishing like you know with b d p and q we know when we're printing those those are the common ones that kids early on will reverse so by teaching cursive handwriting we're sort of eliminating that confusion right and that's because they all start in a different position so yeah. you know your b is curve up loop left that's your right. starting part your p is swing up stop and so it really does aid students in eliminating those reversals yeah so some of the further benefits it's promoting a rhythmical movement it's a continuous flow of letters so and follows many of the print forms we we promote speed and fluidity of ideas so when students become more proficient in cursive handwriting, they can produce more quickly, more rapidly. The other thing we want to be sure is that not only we'll be learning cursive handwriting to in, in the written form, but also to learn how to read it. And that can help with, of course, um, primary sources and so forth in the content areas, particularly history, social studies. Um, when we're reading things like the Mayflower Compact, right? That's cursive handwriting. And we want to emphasize this last point that is a benefit in that we find cursive handwriting to really be a confidence builder and a motivator. Believe it or not, your students absolutely want to learn how to write in cursive and are motivated and excited when we have that time to actually give them the time and the space to learn how to do it properly. They really, and this is from my own experience, years and years of teaching cursive handwriting, they look forward to that practice when we are offering that explicit instruction with showing the proper letter formation and just giving them a chance to let that continuous flow develop. Kids really do find this, once again, so motivating. And Casey has definitely agreed with me on that one. Absolutely. Yes. I love teaching cursive. In fact, all, all my lessons are done in cursive, unless yeah. I have like a very, very young child that hasn't yet learned all the alphabetic principle. But yes, as far as, I mean, teaching cursive, I, I think Emily and I are huge proponents of that. So yes. Um, you know, if we're thinking about some of the goals of teaching either print or cursive, but really we want our goals to be to really establish consistent procedures for multisensory handwriting. We've talked extensively about multisensory strategies in the past, but that is a core piece of our work in structured literacy and in following the Norton Gillingham principles, right, is bringing in those multisensory strategies. So we want to be really consistent in the procedures that we're using for handwriting with our students. We want to, as we've said, I know over and over, we said, we really want to learn either our print and our cursive strokes to automaticity, right? And because we're really looking at establishing that kinesthetic memory 
that's connecting the shape of the letter to the name of the letter to the sound of the and so we're really creating that orthographic loop that we've spoke mm -hmm. about earlier some yeah. other goals you know are to space understand the the spacing between words right both in cursive and in print and in cursive also explicitly teaching the con how to connect the letters properly oftentimes what i see is cursive will kind of be thrown in after the big standardized testing is like the we're going to, now we're going to learn cursive and we're going to go through the letters. And I think it's great that we're, we're seeing it entering classrooms, but we also want to be mindful of if we think about repetition and how much is needed in order to really create that connection, we want to really make sure we're providing enough practice to, to make that permanent because it does need to be automatic. And perhaps reflecting on, is there a better way instead of it being in isolation? Is there a way where yes, we're explicitly teaching it, but we're also embedding it within our literacy lessons so that it becomes part of our practice every day? Absolutely. I think with the explicit instruction, it can be embedded. We can all, we can set aside, you know, I had set aside time Mm -hmm. for a cursive handwriting lesson when I was co-teaching with an occupational therapist because they were coming in to not only assist some of the students that had those goals on their IEP. Um, so it worked out that, okay, well, this is a handwriting lesson, but I think we do need to look at creative ways to embed that in, or in our Orton-Gillingham lessons. I think that it feels more seamless within the structure of that. When we're introducing a new letter to someone, practicing that letter formation, it's just part of the whole process. When we're saying that letter name out loud, as we're practicing the stroke, saying the sound, saying a key word that may go along with that to help them form that, that memory with association with that letter for sure. But all of this, I think, we're sort of reiterating that putting in those foundational skills of making sure we have the fine and gross motor and looking at posture and, mm -hmm. and holding our paper and how we sit in a chair, all those things you might think, oh, it takes so much time. I don't really have it, but the dividends will pay off in the long run when we Absolutely. do. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. And I think, you know, to piggyback on that, right? So we want to make sure, yeah, we're explicitly teaching that and you can set aside time to do that and then embed it within your lessons. One of the things I know that Emily and I have come back to often is being really consistent and concise in the language cues that we're using. And this applies to handwriting as well. So having the same verbiage that you use when you're introducing letters those then become your error correction as well. So you want to be use the same terminology each time that you are having students write. So if you're doing magic C, right, whatever verbiage you're using, you know, for cursive, curve up, loop, left, it's going to be that same cue when students look at you and they're like, oh my gosh, I've forgotten how to make that. Then you, you use that oral cue. So being really consistent and concise in our language is, is really beneficial. And if you're working in a school, having conversations in your vertical planning so that you are using the same language is beneficial to our students as well. 
Right. And we had discussed the importance of precision in language quite a bit in the episode before this in, in mm-hmm. 2.11. And this, once again, it will be beneficial even in our handwriting lessons so that if we are on the in a point in the lesson where we have some error correction or providing some feedback, we can prompt. And that prompt is familiar. They've heard it multiple times from you. You've modeled it. They've practiced it they know. So the minute you give that verbal cue, then some their, their brain is triggered to make that correction. Yeah. Some other things for us to kind of think about is, you know, appropriate paper, sizing the materials that we're using with our students. Those are all things for us to, to think about as we are working on our print and cursive goals. Absolutely. So we wanted to go over some of the resources that we thought would be beneficial. And these are ones that both Casey and I have used over the years, whether it be in a classroom setting with your whole class or in the intervention setting, these really will work well for you. So the first one is really geared more towards your early childhood years. And that is a book called Readiness, so R-E-A-D-I-N-E-S-S by Beth Moore. Beth Moore is an Orton-Gillingham fellow, so she trains other teachers in the Orton-Gillingham approach, and so she has come up with a multi-sensory approach for children to learn their early writing skills, and some of the things she works on from very early on are working are using those large muscle groups with approach strokes so large circle formation practice may look like you're built you're drawing a snowman on an easel or making railroad tracks or just making large loops and making it play-based but Beth really highlights the importance of building up the large muscle group in the arm in order to be prepared to write using, obviously our our letter formation is very large at the beginning. And you can see over time how that gets smaller and smaller as our fine motor skills develop. And so I would definitely recommend that if you were an early childhood educator Not only is that book great for writing, but she really has a beautiful approach to phonological awareness as well. The next one I would recommend is Cursive Writing Skills by Diana Hanbury King. Diana is, as we all know, the guru in Mm Orton-Gillingham. She is uh, no longer with us, sadly, but has left behind an incredible legacy And we have learned so, so much from her over the years, but she had the book Cursive Writing Skills will go over a lot of stroke practice, which is what students need that repetitive stroke practice so that they can get into the proper letter formations. So I recommend that one. And then another one that I have specifically used over the years was written by an, an occupational therapist, Mary Benbow. And it's called Loops and Other Groups. And Mary Benbow developed a kinesthetic approach to cursive handwriting where she groups certain letters by strokes and gives them names. So we have like the clock climbers, hills and valleys, 
things like that. So she groups them, gives them names, and there are kinesthetic approach strokes that she teaches that go with each one and make it very memorable for students. So that I have found to be really beneficial for students as well. And Casey has some tech that we can look at as well that you might want to consider. Yes. I love all of those resources that you listed, Emily, they're fabulous. And I also have, um, you know, any of the writing skills books by Diana Hamburger King. She has some for print. She has some for cursive. I think they're Mm -hmm. all fabulous. A couple of the apps that I do like writing wizard is a really great one. It, they have one for both print and one for cursive. I like how they use approach strokes for cursive there it's it's a good one to use if you're looking for technology apps that assist in handwriting the writing wizard is a good one if you're fortunate enough to have an ot on your campus or available to you asking questions they're very knowledgeable in a lot of you know those core strength development gross motor and fine motor development skills but there's a really lovely website called the ot toolbox that i follow and i i find a lot of really great resources and information on that website so i haven't gone on there in a while but yes that's a great website definitely check that out yeah and then anything by behringer is is fabulous as well so <laughs> right So, and if you're looking even further, Casey and I both have print and or cursive handwriting practice resources in both of our stores. So those will be linked in the notes and we'll also be sure to list those links in our blog post as well. So whenever we publish an episode, you may notice that the Together in Literacy website also has an accompanying blog post. And the blog post is just a really nice summary of what we have been discussing and broken down perhaps maybe in bulleted talking points. We include a lot of the links that we may discuss. We may have linked back to previous episodes. Sometimes there's even a little bit of a freebie in there. So please be sure to check out the the Together in Literacy blog posts as well. We are so grateful to all of you. In our past few episodes, we've talked a lot about how we've had a big number of downloads over the years, and we're so grateful for all of the, the support and feedback and would love to hear from you. Let us know what you think. And we, in upcoming episodes, have a couple of guests planned And we're really excited about those. Um, One of the guests will be addressing a topic that was a request by a listener, and that will be multisensory math. So stay tuned Mm -hmm. for that one. And uh, I know I'm not going to give too much away for anything else, but (laughs) definitely have some good episodes coming up. All right. Well, we hope this episode on handwriting has sparked some ideas floating around, but also maybe encouraging some conversation among your work colleagues for what you want to emphasize in your curriculum and spend maybe a little more time on. So we hope to hear from you and don't forget, you can check out the togetherinliteracy.com and we will see you soon. Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Together in Literacy podcast today. If you enjoyed today's episode, 
please leave us a positive review and subscribe to the podcast. Each comment means a great deal to us. And if you have any questions for us that you would like answered on the Together in Literacy podcast, please contact us at support at togetherinliteracy.com. Be sure to visit the website www.togetherinliteracy.com for show notes, downloads, and goodies. Thank you for helping us spread the word about the Together in Literacy podcast. We'll see you next time.